Thanks so much for coming. My name is Elena Gorfinkel. I'm a senior lecturer in film studies at King's College London, and I'm delighted to be here with you and to let you know that Elizabeth Subrin, the director of the film we're watching this evening, A Woman Apart, will be here. Elizabeth is a celebrated filmmaker and visual artist, and her work has shown internationally and widely. Hi, thank you guys so much for coming on this super sunny afternoon. I haven't been to London for an incredibly long time, and it's nice to be here. So again, thank you for coming. I wanted to begin by asking you how, kind of what brought you to the film. I mean, I know that we've talked about it, but perhaps for the audience, um, in relationship to your earlier work, or kind of what brought you to making the film? You know, most people know you as a filmmaker who is, works not in a narrative idiom and works in more experimental, kind of hybrid forms, and so I'm curious if you could tell us about your process in coming to this kind of story and to storytelling. Yeah, a lot of people ask that question, like, why now? And, of, and what I say is, well, it's not really why now, it's more like why 10 years ago did you start thinking about narrative because it takes so long in the U.S. to get a feature made because there's no state money. But uh, most of my films deal with women set against, women's experiences sent against the backdrop of contemporary culture, politics, etc. And I felt like in a certain way I kind of exhausted myself in all these different experimental forms. And so also I teach and my students are so obsessed with narrative and it was, I felt like at a certain point my interest in the psychology of people's experiences, like I was doing kind of backflips to not use narrative. And so I, I like knowing how, learning how to do things I don't know how to do. And so Scott and I started developing a different feature for quite some time that just became too expensive to make. And it's like a really long story how I thought it was kind of, I was gonna make an experimental version of that film, which was about a bipolar photo archivist who got swept up into the dot-com era, which obviously this is not at all, but it's, it's too long a story. But so Scott encouraged me to make a lower budget film and this is more of a budget than we expected it to be, but that's how it happened. Um, I have a question. I mean, it's just, it's so interesting because so much of your work is about women and female subjectivity and it was so interesting to see this work and how you kind of really you know you really inhabit these characters in really interesting ways and there's such beautiful performances from all of your characters but I you know this is a kind of a topic that we're both quite interested in is the question of exhaustion right and what drove you to tell that story because it seems that the film is so much about and is so moving because it's so much about being at a particular place in one's life and kind of feeling kind of emptied out or feel, you know, they're so interesting. I'm like reading, I don't know if people know the poet Anne Boyer. I don't know if you know her work, but she writes really quite beautifully about kind of the, the kind of stakes of exhaustion for women that are doing all this kind of care labor that is invisible, but it's so interesting to see this take shape in the form of the, a narrative of an actress. And we often think of acting as a certain kind of labor that is both visible and invisible and is kind of material and immaterial in certain ways. And it's, I think there's something about kind of being done that this film articulates so beautifully of like being kind of at this place where you, you just can't do it anymore. And I think we, you know, we all are familiar with the narratives about kind of these kind of heroic male breakdowns, but I think what is so 
meaningful about the film is how it kind of narrates and gives us, allows us to occupy that space with this character. And so I'm curious if you would say a few things about that. Well, I guess w one thing that I just think that everybody can relate to, and I think it's probably very similar in London to New, you know, other large American cities is just that people have to work really hard to survive and it's exhausting and I think what w interests me about an actress which is a world that I don't inhabit is the idea of performance and performing an identity and getting to a certain place professionally where that's all you do is the work and I've always been interested in stories of people just walking away from their lives like what it means to literally just walk away from what you're doing, can you reinvent yourself? Can you just quit and find other parts of yourself? You know, like the road trip movie or something. But I also was thinking a lot about performance and what it requires in like capitalism to be a person in an economy where you have to perform. I don't know if there's, one can be completely authentic and actually make a living or I haven't figured out how to do that. But also the thing that interests me just from a feminist perspective is I've always made films that also look at how women are represented culturally and politically, etc. And I was like, what is the most meta representation? It's a woman who plays a woman, you know, who performs a woman. And I, there's something so interesting, kind of problematic about a woman being asked to inhabit a woman's character for public consumption when she does generally doesn't write it, create it, edit it, shoot it, direct it, finance it. She, as someone in front of the lens, has practically no agency in what she's being asked to do. You know, like, I'm a professor, I have agency mm -hmm. to be the type of professor that I'm going to be. And, and so that was really interesting to me as like kind of an extreme experience. And then the responsibility, the women that they're portraying, because I think it's fair to say that we understand what a woman is more from actors in films, television, print, billboards, commercials, TV anchors, than we understand what a woman is from like, let's say Hillary Clinton, <laughs> you know, so. I wonder if you, I mean, there's some, a lot to say. I'm thinking also about Barbara Loden and Wanda, which is a film I'm w which kind of really obsessed with, um, as I'm sure so many others are. But it's kind of this kind of feminist touchstone of a, a woman that quits. And this kind of the thing that is so compelling about the film is that it's Loden. Leaves Lodin, her child. Yeah, and leaves her child. I mean, th the opening of the film is basically this woman abandons her family and begins to drift, but she doesn't really have anywhere to go. And so there's something quite, you can see the embedded kind of history of cinema in the things that you're drawing on, or the, like you can see the places where, which struck me is also the quality of the performance of Maggie Siff. And I, want, I, I don't know if you wanted to say anything about Maggie Siff as a performer, or, I mean, you're very invested in, you have a Tumblr that you use both to promote the film, but also to think about acting and thinking about questions of inequality and injustice in terms of class and race and feminism in respects to actresses, which is an homage to Maria Schneider. So you have this, you know, you both have a historical investment in, in the actress as a vehicle, but you also, you've taken on this challenge of working with actors in such an amazing way. So I'm just curious, that's a circuitous route, but I'm curious if you wanted to say anything about your working with Maggie and what did you want from her performance? 
are there particular reference points that you shared with her? Or yeah, I'm just curious about how that process unfolded. Well, I think Maggie, I, I don't know if people are familiar with her. I mean, she's most known for American TV shows like Mad Men and Billions and Sons of Anarchy, which I don't know if those are consumed here. But I think she has a really, really hard role because it's basically a character's hollowed out. Like she's like an empty shell. Whereas Kara Seymour, who's from here, she actually has done the work to like go in a different place in her life. So it's a much more empathetic issue and she has real problems. Whereas Maggie's character, they're more existential. I mean, she's, you know, is recuperating from a disease and is clearly really depressed. And the acupuncturist asked her about her personal life and there's kind of nothing there. So I think it was a really hard note to play. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, there's only one part that really digresses into a non-naturalistic state, which is when she lies down on the ground. And the way she is on the ground is also really hollowed out. I mean, it's like you don't see blood on her face. You don't see her fall. It's just like kind of, it's kind of dreamlike. And that part s starts with her kind of drowning in a sea of like failed dreams of scripts and then falling apart on the street and you know like you've written about this but it's hard to play depressed it's hard to play someone who actually doesn't change and one way Scott talked about this film is like kind of a first step film like she takes a step away and then she takes a step back so much of American indie cinema is like you know, challenge, realization, achievement, and change. And my feeling is just people don't change in 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted a film that really talked about, like, how hard it is to change. Mm -hmm. And so I also feel like Maggie's character is kind of an embodiment of capitalism. Like, she becomes a product. And it's very hard for her to pull out of that, even when she goes back to which she hopes is going to be more nurturing environments, mm -hmm. but the consequences of her choices mm -hmm. make it harder. Perhaps we could open it out to questions from To the these audience. nice people who yes. stayed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you guys, I, I have no idea how it translates. I'm always curious, in Poland, there were like, like a whole class came of 17-year-olds, and finally I just was like, what does this mean to you? This is about like 40-somethings in New York <laughs> City, and they had really amazing things to say that made me like practically start crying about, and you could just see how this Polish generation of kids whose parents' lives were so different and the pressure they were under in capitalism mm -hmm. there. But anyway, do you guys have any questions? This is kind of a difficult question to kind of ask, but oh, the gaze. I guess yeah. Is there is there like a feminist perspective to that for you? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like I told Maggie, I was like, we won't fetishize your body. There will not be a male gaze, and as if you can tell, like we don't cut up her body into pieces. We never like pan her body or track certain body parts or use her body as meaning, really. Like even in the sex scene, which I wanted to be hot, I it, it wasn't about like porny or something. Like I just, I wanted to feel someone's desire and sensuality and show that it didn't mean, like corollary between like female desire or male desire and body parts. It's not that, it's about like, 
drive and emotion and desire and those those things aren't you know like when you hear the word sex in at least american culture it's a picture of a woman's body like sex is a woman's body and yeah so i wanted to portray her subjectivity not by alienating her body which puts a lot more work on the actress too especially if we're far away from her you know and it makes it a lot harder to edit as well so yeah i mean as a feminist filmmaker trying to find ways to have sensuality and warmth and empathy without preoccupying ourselves with her body felt important to me. And the other thing is she's like really pretty, right? And it was very hard to make her ever not be pretty. Like she has annoyingly perfect hair and, you know, but she also, she looks like an actress. And I kind of needed someone who looked like she could have a leading role on a network TV show. I think that might be it, right? Yeah, I think we are. Right. Thank you, everyone. Thank for you guys so for sticking yeah. around. It's a very yeah. intimate audience, but yeah. it's a great audience. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Hi. Welcome to the ICA. I'm Stephen Cairns, curator of Artist Film and Moving Image. It's a great pleasure to welcome you all this evening to this very special uh, screening of Martin Sims' Incense, Sweaters and Ice. Martin, welcome back to the ICA. Hello. Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to, to have you here and uh, what phenomenal work. Thank you. I'm going to start with a straightforward question. When did you decide you wanted to make something that was a feature-length piece? And how did, how did all this kind of start and come about? Well, I've always been really interested in films. I would say that's like an art form that I was initially drawn to, just between like kind of popular forms, movies and music. And so I was always watching a lot of feature films. And I would say more this specific project, I had been doing a performance that I did here, mm -hmm. Misdirected Kiss, um, in several different places. It was sort of an evening length performance. And as I started to put together the pieces t for an exhibition that I had in May at the Museum of Modern Art in New York, I was kind of thinking that I could adapt that, mm -hmm. use a lot of that material. I'd also written this kind of short story that some of this is from called Fools a couple years ago that people seemed to respond to that was thinking about somewhat gentrification but through this like interracial couple and... I said I had like the bones of a of a script that I had started a while ago. Mm -hmm. So between those three things I was like, I think I can do it. The, I, I've never asked you this before but the photographs that appear in the film on screen, there's a suggestion of biography, maybe autobiography. Where are those coming from those images? All those are from family photos. Um the main character is sort of based on my mom more or less. Yeah, so I took a lot of the ideas of like if she was 25 what she was doing when she was that age but like contemporary. Mm -hmm. And the references are perhaps, you wouldn't say the, f the piece is autobiographical, but there are all those references there. Can you, can you explain the title? Because when I first came across the work, the title was the thing that puzzled me the most. What did you, you think it until meant? Until you revealed. <laughs> I'm curious what you thought it meant. <laughs> I, was, I was kind of thinking like nightclub, possibly, or like parties. And I was thinking about karaoke, actually. Um, well, the title is a reference to the area of Los Angeles that I grew up in which is Altadena, <laughs> for those of you <laughs> familiar, probably nobody in here. <laughs> and it was like the three factories that were there, it was the incense factory, sweaters, and ice. And I was thinking about this idea of like, there's footage from there, and, sh 
she, the kind of character is supposed to be from there as well. So she's kind of driving around there. And the family dinners, like some signposts. So if you were from that area or knew it, you would recognize it. But I was kind of thinking of her being like manufactured there. Mm -hmm. So, I, but I wanted something that was like evocative. <laughs> mm -hmm. Talking about some of the more pragmatic things uh, in the film, like the, the different point of views with the camera. And it, we obviously have the lead girl who is the lead and white boy who is the boyfriend that you never actually really, you never see them on screen together, but they, they interact. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose to kind of keep them separate like that? Yeah, well, he's not her boyfriend, for starters. <laughs> no, I was thinking of it more as like a courtship, but also thinking about her as a sort of unreliable narrator, and then her only kind of, initially, I had it from his perspective sort of like her being watched but I was much more interested in him being mediated there's one scene where they're together I guess which is in karaoke but mostly he's mediated through text and kind of video mm -hmm. and I just wanted to see if I could kind of carry a character through that one form so you're only really getting her interactions with mm -hmm. him mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah he's not like a three-dimensional person necessarily he's like almost like another dreamscape in a way. Mm -hmm. Does anyone have any questions? Hi. I was really interested in like your um, the fact that she's a nurse and um, then all you've got all the photos of the older nurses like back in the day. It's something that resonated with me because like my grandma, like there's a lot of nurses obviously in a lot of people's like black families. Like my grandma's was a nurse, like my, my sister's a nurse now, and it's like a generational thing. But I always find this like guilt because I'm an artist and they're all like carers. And um, I don't know, I just, could you talk about, I don't know if you feel the same or, cause it, it's part of like our identity, but yeah, at the same time feels very opposite to being an artist maybe. Yeah, definitely. I think nursing, especially for black women, it kind of comes out of a history of care that wasn't always obviously a paid labor but black women have sort of performed that labor for many years. And so there's, a, yeah, a lot. Like my, two of my sisters are nurses, as is my mom, as are other people in my family. And sort of when that, I was saying that to somebody recently, they were like, what happened to you? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't care. No, <laughs> uh, I don't really feel guilty about it. I don't know, that wouldn't be the word I would use. I just have no... Like, my sister describes her job sometimes to me, and I'm just like, there's literally no part of me that would be able to do that. <laughs> I have no interest in it. I wanted to use it also as a sort of reference to, like, earlier kind of television show, Julia. has like, Diane Carroll's in it, an American show that was, like, one of the first starring, like, black female leads, and she plays a nurse, too. But I thought, I was also thinking about a kind of emotional labor, which I think many women are required to perform to like succeed or expected to maybe is better than required and I was trying to have also kind of show that in this courtship like certain emotional labor that's being done thanks I guess I was wondering what book was she reading like having like having the kind of uh the her reading from text um I don't know if you had put some like if that was coming out of the book or if that was you put those in the book Oh yeah, um, and and having those kind of overlayers of like the voice of uh, Queen Y and the track. What your kind of relationship to like appropriated 
I know you asked the question about like appropriate language, but I think maybe about like the multivocal, polyvocal nature of the film. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that was something that me and Nicole, who I edited with a friend of mine who's a filmmaker, <coughs> talked about a lot. Like we kept just thinking what what is like an omniscient like female voice, and like if we could have all these other voices kind of going the whole time, whether that's like through the kind of interviews that come in, through her 37th year, which is the book by Susan Scanlon, who is quoting a lot of other people in that text as well. Kind of, it's structured like an index, and it's like, you know, so something might be like death, C, X, Y, Z, and it kind of references other writers, uh, a lot of women writers. And I had done a residency with Susan, which is how I kind of came across that text, and then. She, she read part of it like when it was a work in progress and it was really similar to like a video that I was editing and I was just like, you know, and for a while I was writing, I was trying to make this film about my great aunt that was like her, similar to her 37th year and I was just like, okay, I should just use part of this. <laughs> like I should just incorporate this into what I'm doing. And that's like a strategy that she used. And recently I was talking with a friend about if that's the kind of like maybe feminist way of working. Like even we were talking about Argonauts as well as another book that keeps referencing kind of the collective and this kind of collective experiences. Yeah, we were trying to have these kind of threads of voices, particularly of women, uh, multi-generational, multi-vocal, that would accumulate and kind of have these like echoes and themes. Um, but please join me in uh, thanking Martin Sims. Yeah, thank you guys. <laughs>